And now, with over 25 years of experience integrating mental health and spirituality, the author of Reclaiming Authenticity, When Ancestors Weep, and Redeeming the Bereaved, here is Dr. James Houck. Good afternoon, everybody. Wonderful to be back in the saddle, so to speak, uh, and uh, just good to be back. Like I said, uh, welcome to Reclaiming Authenticity. Uh, very excited to be back with you here today after a brief hiatus. Just needed a little vacation, so now I'm ready to begin a new year of podcasts that are dedicated to the integration of spirituality and our mental health. And uh, interesting things that are going on. Here we are on the 21st day of uh, January, and uh, I have to tell you, I don't know what's going on, but maybe this is an indication of what 2022 is going to look like. But I actually saw my first robin today. That it, it is true. It landed right in my yard, and I'm on the East Coast here, right outside Philadelphia. And we are at a balmy 21 degrees right now. So I don't know if this robin got blown off course or what his problem is or <laughs> what's going on. But we're about, uh, well, we're under two weeks uh, before Groundhog's Day. So we'll see what that's like. But um, anyway. Yeah, just welcome. Good to be back. Missed the audience, uh, missed everybody, and I uh, hope uh, your Christmas, New Year's, and everything else that was going on in your lives has been getting better and better, and that you have a very good outlook on 2022. Well, I'm Dr. James Houck, and if you would like more information about me or to, if you want to leave me your comments about today's show, today's broadcast, just invite you to visit the website. That address is www.bbsradio.com backslash Reclaiming Authenticity. That's all one word run together, Reclaiming Authenticity. So www.bbsradio.com backslash Reclaiming Authenticity. And if uh, you'd like to be part of the show today, part of the podcast, I invite you to call in if you have any questions or comments. Uh, that number is 888-627-6008. That's 888-627-6008. And uh, as I said, these uh, broadcasts, these shows are now podcasted. In case you want to go back and listen again, you can go back into the archives and listen to even previous shows if you can't spend the whole hour with us, and you know, that, that's fine. But uh, so pleased that you can access these, uh, these shows. Well, how is your heart today? I hope your heart is well. I hope you are well. I hope that if you are struggling today in one form or another, in one capacity or another, I, I hope that you would find the rest that you need. I hope that you find the comfort and the peace that you are looking for. So 
for those who are tuning in for the first time and just to kind of kick things off for the new year, uh, I just want to share with you um, and everybody else uh, just two of my deep-seated beliefs that have actually helped shape my outlook on uh, not just life, but also in formatting this this show and reclaiming authenticity and exactly where did this title come from and, and why is it so important to me to have this uh, integration of spirituality and mental health. Well, as I said, the two the two deep-seated beliefs are as follows. One, I believe that people have the answers within themselves. I really do. Um, you know, the you know the kind of life that you want to live, right? And you know how you feel and you know what brings you peace and joy and hope and and you certainly know what doesn't. And, um, you know, so I believe that people have the answers within, but they often go looking in all the wrong places, if I could steal a line from a famous song. Um, and so right on the heels of that one belief, uh, the other belief is that I believe that everybody, and I, I truly, truly mean it when I say everyone, that, that everyone comes into this world with what they already need in terms of their gifts and their talents, their skills, their graces, everything, your personality and so forth. In other words, the very best part of who you are. And uh, this is uh, how I work with people, uh, you know, being a professional counselor. You know, I believe that they have the answers within. And then let's go look for the very best parts of you the things that you've already come into this world and just maybe discover them for the very first time or to reclaim them because perhaps you've gone through life, you know, and, or you've experienced some pretty unpleasant events uh, or things. And uh, perhaps you found yourself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, you may have ended up suffering some pretty traumatic injuries. And through these experiences, you, you may have a tendency to stop believing in yourself or, you know, the fact that um, you, you begin to doubt that you are already full of value, dignity and worth, as well as the giftedness that you came into the world with. And so depending on where the wound is, you know, emotional or spiritual or psychological, even physical, we may feel like we need to hide who we are, you know, and truly who we are, you know, and hiding our gifts and hiding our talents and skills or graces or whatever, because perhaps there was a time in which they were exploited. And so to protect ourselves, we hide the very best parts of ourselves. We hide who we are. And um, I have to say that uh, I've been feeling this way for some time, but um, I think humanity is well, definitely has turned a corner, but I think humanity is ready to finally embrace everything that one another have come into the world with and not to shirk from that, but to say, this is who I am. This is really who I am. And this is what I bring and so forth. Um, because for far too long down through the centuries and, and then some, People have been compartmentalized into, well, you were born into this family, or you were born into that race, or you were born into this particular profession, or, or a career path, or something like that, and, and so that's all you're ever going to be. 
and you know people just kind of drop an emotional anchor right there and you know nothing wrong with doing certain professions or so forth but again stop they you know most people i find stop looking for the answers within themselves most people you know just settle for either mediocrity or they just don't have that internal drive to know exactly who they are so you know some people are content to allow other people to define themselves you know through what another person expects from them or if you've gone through life so far and you've heard everything you know from other people saying well that's all you're ever going to be uh and then doesn't take long after a while you start to believe that yourself but that's just simply not the case because you do have value dignity and worth the very best parts of who you are are still inside and so i really enjoy encouraging people to look within to find out exactly who you are and what gifts and talents and skills and so forth do you have? Because those are yours, okay? Nobody else is going to have the same exact things that you have. And that's the uniqueness that everybody has, kind of like your own thumbprint. But, um, you know, whereas we have these special gifts and graces and talents and so forth um, that are unique to us, you know, we certainly are compelled to share them with others because the world is waiting for such gifts. The world is waiting for perhaps your, your talent or your skills or even how you are with people and your presence being around them. Uh, people are still starved for that, that genuineness, that, that authenticity. So that is in a nutshell, more or less, about uh, how I came up with reclaiming authenticity. Just uh, really encourage uh, one another to, uh, to be authentic in relationships. Okay. Well, on that note, let's talk New Year's resolutions. Okay. I, I know you made them. Don't sit there and shake your head and say, well, no, I didn't, I didn't have time to. Uh, yeah. Everybody makes a New Year's resolution. Okay, because we're either bombarded with that idea through the media or we're thinking, okay, a new year, a new you, you know, you get the whole, um, you know, get the whole message. But how are you doing with your resolutions? I mean, I hope you haven't given up on them already uh, because it's the third week ish or so, uh, third, fourth week, if that. Uh, most people are like, mm, okay, not going to do it, or maybe even into the second week, uh, because you know the first week, you know, we're we're excited about it, and we're you know really passionate about our New Year's resolutions. But after a while, a monotony might set in, or the routine, or we might think it's boring, or we don't see immediate results, and we give up on it. But um, you know, I just hope you haven't given up on your resolutions, but that the res resolutions are going strong for you, and that you are making great progress. And uh, it reminds me of something that uh, our advertisers and those who are in uh, marketing, they know this strategy all too well, that it takes uh, about 21 days to develop a habit, uh, whatever it is. You know, it could be good things, it could be bad things, things that give life to us or things that are just very draining, you know, whatever it is. 
it takes about 21 days to really develop a habit. And it's that kind of repetition and the routine that just reinforces it in our mind and our behaviors and so forth. And like I said, marketers know this already. Okay, because how many of you have bought something online or at the store and you flip the package over or whatever it is, um, you know, and you read in tiny print a 30 day money back guarantee? Well, there's a little trick to that because the marketers know that if you have something for 30 days and you use it for 30 days, whether it's gym equipment or, or whatever, you know, that you are less, less likely to send it back because you've already established that habit in your life. It's become part of your daily routine. Okay. But they put that out there just in case. All right. Um, but uh, yeah, the same is true for anything. 21 days develops a habit, okay? Which, by the way, speaks to, you know, how we have to be mindful of our thoughts. You know, what we think about it can certainly lead to uh, a change in the perspective, which can lead to a change in our behavior. And this is, could be something very positive and life-giving, and it could be something that's very life-draining and very detrimental. Okay, so we do have to watch our thoughts because thoughts develop patterns in our lives and then it just goes from there. Okay, well, have you uh, ever thought about the fact that uh, our New Year's resolutions typically focus on ourselves? Okay, whether it's wanting to lose weight or if you want to get a better job or even exercise more, our resolutions often begin and end with us. And um, something that I like to do every year is just kind of look up, like, what are the craziest New Year resolutions that people make? So here's a few that I came across this week. Number one, I promise I will buy a new scale. Okay, we'll just kind of leave that one there. Uh, number two, I will stop checking my Facebook page every five minutes. Okay. I won't touch that one either. Uh, number three, I will no longer sit in front of my computer screen for more than an hour. And uh, I'm assuming that this is uh, perhaps uh, somebody who loves to do gaming or other things because, you know, with COVID and, and so forth, uh, people are just, you know, they're compelled. They have to sit at their computer screen for more than an hour. But it, it just, you know, you get the idea behind it. And number four, I promise to clean my house at least once a week or more. Okay. Number five, I am going on a diet and I will exercise every day. Okay. That's pretty specific. Okay. But um, again, think of the 21 day rule here. You know, if you do that for 21 days, it, you've, you've developed a habit. Okay. Number six, I will eat more fruit. Okay. Very good. Very good. Number seven, I will put an end to procrastination once and for all. And I have to tell you, that is one that a lot of people struggle with. Just um, putting things off and procrastinating or thinking that, eh, I'll do it tomorrow or I'll, I'll do it later on this year or something. And then before you know it, you know, that time or that opportunity has come and gone. Okay. And number eight, I will definitely sleep like a normal person. 
whatever that means. I don't know what a normal person's sleep looks like, but that's the, the one person's um, New Year's resolution. And number nine, I will use my treadmill for something else other than a clothes rack. Okay. Any takers on that one? All right. And then lastly, this one more, number 10, I will start saving for the future. Okay. So that, that's a very sound New Year's resolution. Okay. Very good. Very good. And I'm sure you can add to the list, you know, you have your own resolutions as I have mine. Okay. So by way of encouragement, I wanted to read to you just an excerpt from the ever popular Dr. Seuss book, Oh, the places you will go. And hopefully this will inspire you to hang on to these resolutions. Okay. It says, congratulations. Today is your day. You're off to great places. You're off and away. You have brains in your head and you have feet on your shoes. You can steer yourself any direction you choose. You're on your own and you know what to do. And you are the person who will decide where to go. You'll look up and down streets. You'll look them over with care. About some, you will say, I don't choose to go there. With your head full of brains and shoes full of your feet, you're too smart to go down any not-so-good street. And you may not find any you'll want to go down. In that case, of course, you'll head straight out of town. It's opener there and wide open air. Uh, out there, things can happen and frequently do to brainy people and footsie as you. And then things start to happen. Don't worry. Don't stew. Just go right along. You'll start happening too. Oh, the places you will go. Okay. Just timeless classics, timeless wisdom. Okay. So hang in there with your New Year's resolution. All right. Well, the real reason I, I read this passage to you is to point out the fact that when it comes to setting and keeping our New Year's resolutions, as well as other times in our lives or different times throughout the year, is that they often begin with focusing on ourselves, like I'd mentioned a little while ago. And it's true. We need the confidence, the motivation, and yes, the courage to set goals in our lives. And these words of encouragement, like, you know, Dr. Seuss, oh, the places you'll go, can often come from the most unlikely people and in the most unlikely moments. Now, this is not to say that we should not be made to feel guilty about wanting to take care of ourselves or that we should not strive to improve ourselves, but... I think deep down inside, the real reason we make New Year's resolutions is to have um, more of a self-acceptance and, and, and a search for a greater peace and joy in our lives and uh, finally embrace everything that we cannot put a monetary value on. You know, the things that are priceless in our lives, the, the value of relationships, okay? And yet, perhaps we can discover greater peace in our lives when we can bless not only our own path or, let's say, our own journey, but also bless the path of another beginning from a place of gratitude. In other words, begin with a place of contentment with what we have, okay, and just being filled with gratitude, okay? 
And this is something that is taken very seriously in other countries where, let's say, a spiritual practice or a spiritual path is seen in the everyday fabric in people's lives. Okay. For example, uh, blessing the spiritual path of another is a literal practice I learned when I visited India several times. And it's uh, mostly seen when a person meets a, a teacher or a guru or even another elderly person of importance or high status. And it involves reaching down and touching the feet of the guru, not only to, to receive a blessing from them, but also to honor or bless their spiritual path in which they are walking. Okay? Well, walking a spiritual path is a common phrase in today's world, and, and yet it means different things for different people. And sometimes it may mean that one has uh, undergone uh, an awareness of something greater than themselves and has decided to engage in the spiritual disciplines in order to discover the, the, those deeper and hidden truths, the mystery of life. Or, still, there are those who believe that walking a spiritual path is simply, you know, a code for, well, go sell all your possessions and move to a distant land and help the poor and go from there. Well, a lot of times I would hear someone make the remark that uh, considering the spiritual path of another – you know, uh, a comment that is often made is, wow, that must take a lot of faith. Well, yeah, it does, if you're called to walk that path, okay? But typically on the heels of a comment like that is this statement. Okay, but what if a person makes a mistake or they realize someday that they wasted their life? Well, the, really, isn't the main issue um, not whether the, this person believes he or she has wasted their life by wanting to help others? You know, perhaps the main issue is that the person actually found their life simply by reaching out to others in the first place. You know, perhaps this person found their life's calling simply by having the courage to transcend their so-called limitations. Okay. Oh, the places you will go. And this is something I run into time and time again when the subject of walking a spiritual path comes up in conversations. There's always a little hint of hesitation, a little twinge of doubt, or just a tiny amount of uncertainty. And it's almost as if uh, fear takes over and, and locks us away uh, in the further recesses of our minds. You know, it's a, it's a place where it's cold and dark, uh, but it could be very familiar. And this is why we can talk ourselves out of things all the time. Okay? But it's even deeper than this. It really comes down to, you know, our assumptions about what we think about ourselves or others or God or how the world is supposed to work according to what we think is best for us. And I remember a time when I fought what I thought was a very difficult spiritual path. And I have to say, from a fairly early age in my life, I had a deep desire to minister to others and still do. I just thought that I was going about it all the wrong way. 
Okay, and I was about 24 years at the time, and uh, I had been pursuing my calling to go into ministry full-time, and like all people who make it known that they will be doing some form of ministry in the future, well, word gets out. And then, of course, you know, you're asked to help out in church or the synagogue or, uh, you know, make hospital calls or fill in, you know, for a teacher that was sick. And and uh, anyway, but uh, I was teaching in, in my church. Uh, I was teaching an adult Sunday school group for several weeks. Okay, and um, we had we had two pastors and so forth. But during the Sunday school hour, I was my, you know, I. I said, yeah, sure, I can do this for a few weeks. I can teach the adults. And I'll be the first one to say, you know, first one to admit that uh, looking back on those early days, I had a long, long way to go. You know, I'd be standing up there. My papers would be flying all over the place. Uh, I would be stammering over my words, losing my place from time to time. And it seemed like weak. After week, after week, I would go home with uh, the proverbial Excedrin headache number five. So, one night, I had this conversation with God, and I said, Look, I've been willing to pursue what I believe that you put in my heart, even stepping out on faith by teaching others, but I don't really enjoy it. I don't really see the point, and furthermore, I don't like it. So, I tell you what, here's the deal. Yeah, Try to make a deal with God. So here's the deal. I will try one more time, and let's see what happens. Okay? I'll give it my best, and if it doesn't work out, I'm done. Okay? Well, the next time, you know, came around, and you know, for me to teach, and I was up there just to teach my little heart out, and again, papers flying all over the place. They're losing, you know, I was losing my place and so forth, and I was stammering over my words and, and so forth, and just time to time, just, you know, trying to get back on track. And finally, when the time was up, I quickly uh, picked up my papers, stuffed them in my backpack, and I headed for my car. And I thought that was it. I thought, okay, you know, I'm glad I parked close to the church because, you know, I just quickly wanted to like, okay, I gave it my best shot. I'm going to go home now and you can find somebody else. Well, now, no sooner had I unlocked my car and I was about to get in myself when a man comes running up to me. And he goes, hey, 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 before you leave, you know, I just, I'm glad I caught you before you drove off. I just wanted to say how much I enjoyed that lesson. Nobody has ever explained that passage the way you did. It all makes sense now. And I've been trying to understand that passage for so long. So, so, so thank you. Talk about blessing the path of another. Well, We shook hands, and I thanked him for his kind words, and I got in my car, and I sat in my car for a long time, and I just gently massaged my right temple that was throbbing like I did each week, okay? And I I had this awareness. I had this kind of light bulb moment, and finally, I just, I looked up, and I just said straight out to God, "Um, you're not going to let me out of this, are you? And I guess it's not about me. And when I said this, my heart spoke to me and said, you know what? You're right. It's not about you. It's not even what you can and can't do. 
It's all about what God can do in and through you. So will you at least trust me? And ladies and gentlemen, the rest is history. You see, having fears and doubts and uncertainty to a certain extent is normal. That's normal. After all, you know, we want to make sure that we do and say things correctly when we, uh, you know, begin a spiritual path or we walk a spiritual path. We want to make sure at least we're going in the right direction. But yet, what if we would just entertain, just for the sake of today, uh, this notion that being on a spiritual journey doesn't matter where we place our feet because we can never fall off our spiritual path. I mean, how often do we imagine that being on a spiritual path means trying to walk on a literal footpath or a trail where we have to be careful where we step or else we're going to fall off the path or go in a wrong direction? I mean, what if, you know, just, just what if walking a spiritual path is more about paying attention to the lessons that are in front of us all along the way, that it's more about the process? rather than the end result. And then let's also entertain, again, just for the sake of today, that perhaps the entire purpose of walking a spiritual path is not for us to take a literal physical journey, but rather that it involves taking us on a journey inward to ourselves. The, the purpose of any spiritual journey, walking any spiritual path, always compels us to look inward. And this is the main point of one of my favorite books, The Alchemist, where a young shepherd boy named Santiago sets off to find his personal legend or his destiny. What is my, what is my goal in life? You know, what am I called to? Why am I put on this earth? And, and every, all these other questions that was running through his mind and his heart. And his journey takes him across various lands to the pyramids in Egypt where along the way he encountered various people who are there at just the right time to help him along the way or to help him with the next step in this journey. And if you've ever read The Alchemist, you'll realize that Santiago's journey literally has brought him back to the place where he left. But he himself has been on an inward journey because he himself has been transformed along the way. Just like T.S. Eliot once said, let us not cease for exploration, and for all of our exploring will be for us to arrive at a place where we started and know it for the first time. Well, I would really love to hear your heart on this matter. So again, if you would like to call in, that number is 888 888- Six two seven six zero zero eight, and I'll be taking your calls after the break. Again, you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity, and I'm your host, Dr. James Hop. I'll be back with you in one minute. Or I can be back with you sooner. That's okay. (laughs) All right. Well, hey, welcome 
back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Uh, I'm Dr. James Houck, and you are listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. And uh, just, uh, you know, after a brief hiatus, I'm glad to be back here uh, behind the microphone, so to speak, and uh, sharing this time with you. And uh, I'll just say, you know, just a kind of like shameless promotion here that um, I really enjoy reading your comments about the show and and, uh, just love the, the feedback and so forth, as well as if you have any topics that you would like me to cover or to talk about, that would be fine too. So again, I invite you to visit the website to just leave me those comments at www.bbsradio.com backslash reclaiming authenticity. Okay. Well, earlier in the show, I was talking about uh, blessing the spiritual path of another. And this concept can be a little intimidating for many people, as the image of a path may invoke in us this very narrow path where we have to put literally one foot in front of the other, where if we're not careful, we're going to fall off the side of a cliff. Okay? But, But that's not, you know what it is you know walking a spiritual path is not a linear concept it's it's very cyclical it often curves back around like i said we or i should say as t.s Eliot put it that um you know let us not cease our exploration because for all of our exploring will be for us to arrive at a place where we started okay it's that secular coming back again but because we've been on an inner journey We're going to know it for the very first time because we have been transformed. We have been changed. Okay? And so with that being said, being on a spiritual journey really doesn't matter where we place our feet because we can never fall off our spiritual path. And even if we go through some horrific times or some times of uncertainty or we don't even know where to put our feet down sometimes – We're still walking a spiritual path. It's still part of our journey. It's still part of our story. Okay? So what if, you know, walking a spiritual path is more about paying attention to the lessons that are right in front of us along the way? You know, like I said, it's more about a process rather than an end result. Okay, but how many times when we're walking a spiritual journey or this, we'll stay with the uh, metaphor of the path here, are we continuously looking over our shoulders and worried about where we have been? And we miss everything that is right in front of us. And also, let's, you know, like I said, just for the sake of today, um, you know, the, the entire purpose of walking a spiritual path is not for us to take a literal physical journey. Okay. It, it just might, it just might, but any, any journey, any spiritual journey involves taking us on a journey inward to ourselves. And this is what makes irony a very effective tool in our lives. Irony teaches us things all the time because it is a classic genre in movies and stories that, um, you know, it's just the Wizard of Oz, okay, or something like that, where we have these preconceived notions or these assumptions about, okay, well, we're going to take a trip here, we're going to go on this journey, and this is what I imagine is going to happen, 
Okay, or this is what I assume is going to happen. And the the trip turns out to be totally different. Okay, but we've missed the lessons along the way because we were so focused on, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not supposed to happen here. It's supposed to go this way instead of just, okay, we'll go in this direction. We'll go and we'll be involved in this, say, spiritual discipline. But what comes up comes up. And we're more open to the transformation that can occur more easily as long as we are aware that we have that awareness. Okay. And so, as I uh, just mentioned right before the break, that the prominent theme that runs through the book, The Alchemist, is that through this character, Santiago, we realize that when we really want something to happen, the whole universe will conspire so that your wish comes true. Think about that for a second. When we really want something to happen, the whole universe will conspire so that your wish comes true. Think of, okay, just, just think for a second here. Who puts those desires in our hearts? Do we acknowledge that? Do we begin wanting to improve ourselves or wanting to begin a spiritual path or continue on a spiritual path with that gratitude in our hearts or the desire that was placed there in the first place? And the whole universe will conspire so that the wish comes true. And this is the theme that ties us into today's topic of blessing the spiritual path of another. Because this is something I truly believe in, that whenever we pay attention to what has been placed in our hearts and we hear the cry of our soul and we commit to it, yes, the entire universe will make it happen if we remain open and teachable to every situation in our lives. And when we do this, we'll also discover that we may have been destined to embrace the cry of our soul all along. In fact, it, it kind of takes the fear of failure out of the picture, doesn't it? In fact, this often compels us uh, to not only you know, to bless our own path, but we're also more sensitive to bless the path of another. Well, think about it this way. Every now and then I run into this statement, or I run into this uh, concept, that, um, well, I have a hard time blessing the path of another because I don't like that person. Okay? Or, okay, well, I don't necessarily agree with their path or their spiritual path, or, you know, this person has hurt me and so forth, and I just can't do it. So let somebody else do it. Okay? Well, there is a certain passage of scripture, which is, once we understand it, it's kind of, let's say comical, but yeah, it, it is. But it's, it's so profound because it, it just cuts right through this doubt and, and brings home the message of, oh, I can do that. I, yeah, I can do that too. And it's this passage of, um, I believe it's found in the wisdom scripture, where if you bless the person who curses you or you turn away a harsh word, it's as if you've heaped burning coals on their head. 
And I have to tell you that I, as a kid, I always got this image in my mind that, uh, you know, like, yeah, okay, we're just going to shovel some coals on top of a person's head and kind of burn their hair off or burn their scalp. But it has nothing to do with that, okay? It's not revenge at all. But rather, you're blessing them. Because back in, you know, the, the biblical times, we shall say, um, to heap burning coals on the head of another means that you're giving them heat, you're giving them fuel, okay? And, okay, the burning coals can keep a person warm. It can also feed their family, you know, and preparing meals and so forth, okay? So it is indeed a blessing. You know, we might put it in our, our language today of, of like, you know, whenever we, you know, turn away, you know, just an angry person with kind words, it's as if we've handed them uh, a gift card, so that they can get gas or something like that, okay? It's it's just, you know, you don't return the evil for evil, but you turn it around to be a blessing to somebody else. But how do you do this? How do you do this? And why is it important to bless the path of another? Like, what, what, is it, what does it do, okay? Well, think about the people in your life and the people, you know, along the way in your journey who are always there for you. The people who, you know, had blessed you with unforeseen gifts or words of affirmation or, or, you know, kindness, something, okay? And what that felt like and how that kind of fueled you, so to speak, to continue on, okay? That's what we're doing when we bless the path of another. But I tell you, you know, unforgiveness has a way of keeping us from doing that. But yet, when we're able to forgive a person, we're not only saying to them, I'm, I'm not willing to carry this burden any longer, and I don't want you to carry this burden any longer either. Okay? And we can let go of that burden of unforgiveness that we've been carrying, even if the other person could care less what we do. And it's like, okay, I know I'm not going to carry that any longer. And that burden is down, and it makes our spiritual path lighter, shall I say? Lighter, not just in terms of, you know, weight, but also lighter as in light. So the grudges that we hold and the unforgiveness that we hold in our heart can really keep us from blessing the path of another. And... You know what else happens when we bless the path of another? Endorphins are released. Oxytocins, or oxytocin, I should say, um, is released. And that's, um, I kind of like look at uh, oxytocin as the relational molecule. That uh, when we're in a good relationship with ourselves and others and so forth, um, you know, oxytocin, I can't talk today, oxytocin, really just reinforces that connection that we have. It's, you know, we, we have the awareness that we are connected, but when oxytocin reinforces what we have done in a very, very good way, the, that that bond that we have with people and all things is, is incredibly strengthened. Okay? And it actually uh, rewires the brain, if you want to, you know, put it in that language too where oxytocin is the, you know, just a wonderful molecule 
that uh, just really encourages us. And hopefully, if, when we bless the path of another, that person also gets you know that understanding or that experience of oxytocin, and you know that conditioning begins. And hopefully they pass it on to somebody else. Okay. So, um, as I said, the prominent theme that runs through the book, The Alchemist, that when you really want something to happen, the whole universe will conspire so that your wish comes true. And, you know, you and I are part of that universe. We may not think that we are, but we are. You know, how often do, does God answer prayers through the most unlikely people? or the most unlikely moment, and so forth. And, you you know, without even you knowing it, you could be an answer to somebody's prayer through how you smiled at them, or just stop to say, I just don't want to, you know, say to you, how you doing? But, no, seriously, how are you doing? That might be all it takes. But, you know, but think of other ways to bless another person's path. It could take the form of encouragement. It could take the form of maybe a financial support or, um, you know, maybe, you know, support of, of food or something like that. But it also could be the, like a prayer support or, or another aspect. Okay. And so we not only listen to the cry of our soul, but we also allow and enable the other person to listen more deeply to the, the depth of the, the, the cry of the soul that is within them, okay? Because, yes, um, when we are more tuned in to who we are and we're more tuned in to that cry of the soul, yes, it's going to compel us to not only bless our own path, but we're also going to be more sensitive to bless the path of others. We're going to look for it. We're going we're, It's just going to come so natural that we're not even going to think about it. We're just going to go and do and be, okay? But, you know, how often do we get tangled up in the belief that just because we can't see a, a spiritual path that's clearly marked out for us, you know, every step of the way, shall we say, that all of our efforts are going to be for naught. You know, we worry about making mistakes along the way or walking this path perfectly because there's times when we want to avoid criticism or ridicule or even shame. And we've been conditioned. Let's let's be honest with this. At times, we have been conditioned to expect these reactions to continue, because these have been attached to ourselves for so long. And these are some things that we're going to have to work through. And we're going to have to work through not only where does that pain come from, where do these things come from, but then engage in the forgiveness and then releasing them. And to be brutally honest with ourselves and like, why, why am I still hanging on to these things? What, what point or purpose do they serve me? Why do I have a hard time letting go of this? And why do I, first on one hand, complain that these, these themes in my life keep coming up, but why do I keep looking for them? Right? And it's true, you know, our spiritual path or journey might be unknown to us. But it's not unknown to God. And we just assume that all of our efforts are going to be for naught. And, 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 but why do we worry about, well, we're not going to do well? You know, why do we worry about or have this fear of failure? And why do we assume that whatever we undertake is going to turn out wrong? I mean, is it a fear of failure? 
or is it a fear of success? And if we're honest with ourselves, it, it just might be a little of both. You know, either way, fear does to us, you know, that what it does, what it does, I should say, it keeps us immobile, whereby we just might not do anything. You know, we don't say yes, we don't say no, we just don't say anything at all because we're afraid. And one of my dear friends re always reminds me of the acronym of fear. It's false evidence appearing real. And I like that. False evidence appearing real. And I have to tell you, I deal a lot with people so filled with fear that, that something is always going to go wrong, uh, that it will never work or causes us anxiety over our assumptions that, uh, you know, again, it's, you know, just immobilizes them. But what if we were guaranteed success, whatever success looks like? Okay. What if we are guaranteed? There's no way you can screw this up. Okay. Would we be worried? Would we be concerned? Would we still have the same anxiety? Depression? Yeah, think about it. If you were guaranteed success, again, whatever that looks like, would we be worried about failure? You know, with um, things in full swing now with uh, football playoffs and basketball, hockey, and so forth, and, you know, we, Olympics are right around the corner again, uh, you know, sports figures struggle with this too. And ball players are just notoriously superstitious, uh, and hockey players too. They have all kinds of pre- and post-game rituals designed to quiet the voices of anxiety. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, I have this fear. It's like, oh, don't worry, do this. And, you know, that worry will leave. Um, and, in fact, it's kind of interesting that many of them train their minds to see themselves being successful. And this is why blessing the spiritual path of another through words of encouragement and affirmations and kindness is crucial. But what if everywhere we go, especially going inward, is meant for us to discover with its own lessons and, and it's designed to take us deeper into ourselves and ultimately brings us to a place of our soul's greatest desire? Would we consider that as failure? See, by thinking this way, we realize that we never have to have fear or worry about making a mistake or somehow we're displeasing to God. And we also have to stop worrying about whether or not others will understand what we do. Yeah, because quite frankly, it's not their spiritual path. They have their own spiritual path. And they need to be responsible for themselves, just like we have our own spiritual path. And we have to be responsible for ourselves. Okay. Lessons learned along the way. A total surrender. That's not a New Year's resolution. That is a lifelong commitment. Or as Robert Frost would say, that is the road less traveled. And when we are ready, how quickly does that road appear? And when the student is ready, how quickly does the teacher appear? 
Well, in the Buddhist traditions, there's uh, something called the Eightfold Path. It's kind of nice to consider. So if you're still searching for a New Year's resolution or or um, coming up with uh, a, a discipline to get yourself started to walk on a spiritual path, let me suggest this. It's uh, very sound. It's um, going to be difficult because, again, um, it is a spiritual path. It takes commitment and so forth. But 21 days, okay? Keep that in mind, 21 days. Where you're going to set the pattern in, in your mind because it's going to be a habit, okay? And here on the Eightfold Path, it talks about the rightness, okay? Like right view, right resolve, right speech, right action. And just, uh, just spend the last few minutes of this uh, podcast just uh, going through these. That, uh, you know, just have a, a nice understanding of, of exactly what does this mean, to step on an Eightfold Path. So let's begin with the right view. It's uh, pretty much just a true understanding of how reality and suffering are intertwined. Okay, and this is something within Buddhism that is, um, you know, where does suffering come from? You know, it comes from attachments. And okay, well then, where does attachment come from, and so forth? And we look at you know uh, reality and the, the days in which we live, and so forth. And the suffering occurs, or stress, or anxiety, or whatever, or even physical, emotional suffering. How common that is, okay? But it's just how they are intertwined, and just having a right understanding that this is. Um, how things often unfold at times. And the next one is a right resolved, uh, an aspiration to act with correct intention. In, you know, in other words, do no harm. So whenever we go back to the right view and we have this true understanding of how reality and suffering are intertwined, let us not do anything to promote the suffering. Okay. The third is right speech. Abstaining from lying, of course, and diver or which includes diversive or abusive speech. And then there's right action, number four. Always acting in ways that do not cause harm, such as not taking a life or stealing or engaging in sexual misconduct or whatever we want to put there. It's like behaving correctly. Because again, we are so connected and or as I like to put it, we live in an echo. That which we put out there will come back to us. And so when we hurt another person, it's as if we have hurt ourselves. And we wonder why we don't heal. We wonder why we're not seeing any progress. But yet we continually to do things that cause suffering for others. And then there's number five, the right livelihood, making an ethically sound living, being honest in business dealings. Okay. And then number six, right effort. Just uh, endeavoring to give rise to skillful thoughts, words and deeds, and renouncing unskillful ones. In other words, motivation. Okay? Just uh, you want to do things properly and have the right motivation in not just our thoughts or our words, but also what we do. Okay? And then number seven, right mindfulness. Just being mindful of of, you know, ourselves as, uh, you know, emotional and psychological and, and physical and spiritual and the qualities that we have. And then right concentration, the last one, practicing meditation, okay, and which, again, we focus on the previous seven of the Eightfold Path here, 
you know, and it's not a, a right versus a wrong, but rather you know, being in right relationships with one another by way of our thoughts and speech, behaviors, mindfulness, and livelihood. So there's the Eightfold Path, okay? So if it speaks to you, I encourage you to begin that spiritual path on a daily basis. Well, the um, last thing I want to share with you before this podcast wraps up is just a wonderful prayer. I don't know how familiar you are with Thomas Merton. He was a Trappist monk who um, lived uh, last century, well, yeah, the 20th century, and um, he just was well-known for having contemplative prayer, uh, well-known for one who would always be involved in introspection um, and reflection and so forth. And um, in the the book, uh, if you've never had it, I encourage you to buy it. It's, uh, you know, uh, The Merton Prayer from The Thoughts in Solitude. And it pretty much sums up a spiritual path and just the tremendous responsibility that we take in in stepping on a spiritual path or being awareness or having awareness I should say of our spiritual path. So Thomas Merton prays, "My Lord God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end, nor do I really know myself." And the fact that I think I'm following your will doesn't mean that I'm actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does, in fact, please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I'm doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore. I will always trust you, though I may seem lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for yes, you are ever with me, and you'll never leave me to face my perils alone. The Merton Prayer. Thoughts in Solitude by Thomas Merton. Well, I'm Dr. James Hauck, and you have been listening to Reclaiming Authenticity. Thank you for spending this hour with me. I really appreciate it. Just uh, leave me your comments and uh, let me know your, your thoughts and ideas. And uh, until we meet again next week, uh, same time, Friday afternoons at 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time, uh, everybody be safe out there. Uh, everybody behave themselves, and may God hold us in the palm of God's hands. Have a good day. Bye-bye. For an answer, or just to leave a thousand comments, or prodding to buy a book by Dr. Hauk, it's all there. Just wander on over to ReclaimingAuthenticity.com and click around. And we'll see you next Friday at noon Pacific Time on PBS Radio TV.